This is News Talk on the VOCM Bigland FM radio network. The views and opinions on this program are not necessarily those of this station. And now your News Talk host, Linda Swain. And good afternoon, everyone. And it's the talk right across the country and down into the United States now. Millions of people in several provinces and a growing number of U.S. states dealing with smoke from forest fires burning in Ontario and Quebec. I don't know if you've seen any of the pictures, but it's really quite amazing. It looks like a foggy day here in Newfoundland and Labrador, only it's smoke. And of course, that causes an awful lot of problems. We've seen those kinds of issues here in this province before. Emergency Preparedness Minister Bill Blair says there are 414 fires burning across the country, including 239 that are currently listed as out of control. Fires have forced more than 20,000 people from their homes. Quebec officials say this is the worst fire season in recent memory, and more than 15,000 residents could find themselves needing to evacuate by the end of the day. So, in Ontario and Quebec, the story is fire. In Newfoundland and Labrador, the story is rain. The Department of Transportation has closed the main road in Anglie on the Great Northern Peninsula due to runoff caused by heavy rain falling on the region. The main road inundated with a torrent of water leading to fears of washouts. Officials with the department are on the scene. The main road is closed to all traffic except in cases cases of emergency. Dale Foote, meteorologist with the Gander Weather Office, says the rain will continue tonight and into tomorrow say Angli up through to St. Anthony, around 45 millimeters for the uh, straight side of the Northern Peninsula. So yeah, and there are some, even some guidance that's bringing in more than 70 mils for parts of uh, up around uh, Cricket and area. So it's a steady rain. It's, you know, the best thing I can do, you can look at this type of rain for this type of year, at least it's not smoke. At least it's giving us a good base going into the summer for uh, good looking after forest fires so that's the best way to look at it well indeed uh that may be the case but it's still a great worry to uh the residents of Angelie. and uh, stephanie fillier is the mayor there she joins me now well stephanie fillier uh wow lots and lots of rain on the great northern peninsula and Angli is feeling the brunt what's happening uh, right now, uh, we have our major road that comes into our town. Uh, we have a brook that crosses it called uh, Battle Cove Brook, and it has come up over our pavement. So the engineers for Transportation and Works were in, and they have our road closed except for emergency situations right now. Um, unfortunately, the same brook crosses two of our access roads in the remainder of town, like it goes right on down through. And we're hoping that the pavement's going to hold and it's not going to give. If it does, we could have a washout of all three roads. So it's looking pretty uh, pretty bleak at the moment. Um, we also have some major runoff in different areas of town. We've got some rocks sliding in a, little, in a couple spots and waterfalls popping out of everywhere. <laughs> and I understand no um, immediate relief in sight in terms of the rain either. No. Uh, the next 48 hours is looking for rain for us. Uh, it says on the weather forecast that some spots in the northern peninsula east is upwards of 70 millimeters. I hope that's not Frangley, though. So uh, what, to, what, what will you do? I mean, obviously the road is closed for now. Hopefully, as you said, it holds. But uh, what happens if it gets washed out? If it gets washed out, we're cut off until we can get, well, the, the most of the town of Ingley is cut off until we can get, uh, well, help from the government, help from Transportation Works. The, the main part that comes into Ingley is the Transportation and Works Road. Um, they're on top of it now. They have men there watching it. So hopefully, hopefully the water 
eases a bit. Um, the other two sections of the road is our town road, of course, Fringley. We'll do our best to keep the water diverted, keep it clear, um, trying to lessen the amount of traffic, asking people to stay at home and not ride over it too much because we wouldn't want to have someone on the road when the road gives, of course. Are these problem areas? Have you encountered problems in these areas before? Um, sometimes during the winter months we'll see, because we have coverts that go through each section of the road, so sometimes during the winter months we'll see them freeze and back up, we'll get a wa- bit of water. Our town maintenance guys are always on top of it, keeping it open. Um, we ne- when there's a substantial amount of rain, we do get a fair bit um, on the main highway section there, but uh, we've never, never, hope- we've never had it wash out yet, so we're hoping it's going to hold. And what's in behind the hills there? Is it uh, boggy soil? Is there a, a pond back there? Boggy, or? wet ponds. Our, our main water supply for our town comes right from the top of the hills, <laughs> right from the top of the main hill that the, the brook's running down from. So hopefully hopefully it'll uh, it'll be nice to us. <laughs> uh, well, we have all, of course, Ingley is all hills and cliffs going down in, so the water's got to run somewhere. It's running downhill right now. And are any other uh, properties in jeopardy right now? Any homes in the immediate vicinity? Um, I, I have been talking to a few people. They're getting a bit of water in their basements and whatnot. But as of right now, it doesn't look too concerning. Uh, we do have some homes right on the edge of this brook. I'm hoping that um, the driveways and whatnot aren't going to get washed out too bad. But uh, I'm sure you've seen the pictures that people post on social media. We have some massive water spread over all these driveways and properties and pavement. Everything is covered right now. Well, Stephanie, Fillier, we're keeping our fingers crossed for you all uh, that uh, the rain dissipates a little bit and that uh, the infrastructure holds. Uh, really appreciate your time. Keep us up to date. We will. Thank you very much. And that's Stephanie Fillier, the mayor of Englee, um, with the situation they're facing now with uh, some pretty heavy rain in the area that's causing some uh, uh, torrential runoff um, running across the uh, main highway there and threatening to cut the town off altogether. Uh, it's three main routes in and out of town. Um, this uh, this brook um, passes by all three of them, and uh, she's afraid that the pavement is not going to hold up. Anyway, we'll keep you up to date on that particular situation. Well, coming up, the best Bank of Canada raises its interest rates yet again. What does it mean? We'll let you know right after the break. This is News Talk on VOCM. Weekday mornings from 5.30 to 9. Jumpstart your day with Jerry Lynn Mackey and Ben Murphy. Newsmakers, traffic, weather, and more during your VOCM morning show. And I just had someone messaging me, as a matter of fact, uh, from uh, New Jersey. They just received a notification from their school district. Due to the air quality and all school activities will be canceled today. Uh, that's down down in New Jersey. Just imagine that uh, the smoke from the fires in Ontario and Quebec are having that kind of an impact south of the border as well. Yeah, and uh, I can't imagine what it would have to be like to, to go back to wearing N95 masks. Some people who are, are you know, have those health problems are actually encouraged to wear them. Yeah, and, and like you said, the distance. Who would have thought? You, you know, we think of it as fog, but they're actually getting it as smoke. Yeah, and you think, you know, over those kinds of distances, it would dissipate, but it it doesn't. It's, Lingers. Uh, yeah, it's really quite something. So uh, uh, for this particular person who's texting me, is like, this is just like, what? Forest fires? What? In Canada? What's happening? And now they have to pay attention to that. <laughs> and now they have to yep. pay attention to it. Yeah, so I just uh, sent her a little note saying, uh, stay indoors. <laughs> Limit your outdoor activity if you can. We're thankful for what we have right now. <laughs> Indeed. Well, um, on a completely separate note, the Bank of Canada, but with a, you know, a, a big... <laughs> 
a big impact on all of us. Uh, the Bank of Canada has increased its key lending rate by another quarter point in response to a 3.1% increase in Canada's economy in the last quarter. That brings the key lending rate to four and three quarters percent. The Bank of Canada made the hike today amid concerns that the rate of inflation could get stuck above the 2% target. And of course, the Bank of Canada has been progressively increasing um, the um, interest rate um, to try and slow the economy, and that's just not happening. Well, Larry Short is a senior investment advisor with Short Financial, a branch of IA Private Wealth in St. John's, and he joins me now. Larry Short, after uh, so long of the Bank of Canada saying, no, we're going to put a pause on this, they increased um, interest rates today, the key lending rate to four and three quarters percent. Uh, What's your reaction? What does it mean? So let's just look at the reason why, or the statement that was made by the Bank of Canada, is that their concerns are that inflation could stay higher for longer. And that differs dramatically from their last press release, where they were expecting that inflation was going to decline quickly by mid-year to about 3%, and then taper off uh, through 2023 to down around that two two high twos uh, level. So um, the the last report on inflation just came in for April, where the uh, interest rates, um, sorry, um, inflation uh, went from 4.3% in April 2022 to 4.4%. So instead of the direction being down, it's slightly up. It's not up a lot. It's it's up a smidgen, but the direction is more important than the absolute amount here. So they're just you know reacting to the fact that they're not seeing inflation decline the way that they expect it. So what's driving inflation? I mean, we've seen these uh, bank failures in the United States. The U.S. economy, by all accounts, is starting to slow. What's driving inflation right now? Uh, so uh, it, uh, understand a couple of things here. Um, when, when trying to wrestle with something like inflation, um, th- there's a lag effect when you raise interest rates. Um, so that is that you raise interest rates um, in, say, June of 2022. You don't really see the effect of that until December of 2022. So it takes about six months for the effect of increasing interest rates um, to to materially change something within the economy in general. So it's kind of like driving down a a highway, uh, you know, a slippery highway and um, trying not to put yourself off into the ditch by slamming on the brakes too hard but just slowing down enough. And the only way you know if you're slowing down is if you look in the rearview mirror and see that, oh, I just missed the stop sign, so uh, now I've got to slow down a bit faster. So there's a lag effect here. It's difficult to do. It requires some adjustments. But what we're, what we're not, not seeing right now is the expectation that we're going to be increasing interest rates at the same pace that we did in 2022. That is, in 2022, we went up by 4%. Right now, we're talking about a quarter point increase. Might be another quarter point increase, probably coming maybe September. But they're they're trying to see what the numbers kind of look like. So so far, the numbers are are not accelerating dramatically. That is, we're not seeing inflation really take off, but not slow as much as they could. So let's just keep it in context. The things that they're seeing, though, is that the housing market, in particular 
is not slowing down as they would hope to see. Uh, housing prices have held up quite strongly. If anything, they've kind of reaccelerated in certain centers um, uh, in Canada, and that's you know, uh, due to the fact that um, demand is still there. And demand is still there because we had a million immigrants come into Canada last year, which is an all-time high. Uh, that's a, that surprised uh, a lot of people, I guess, including the central bank. Um, and we've also seen that, that um, you know, the... the uh, there are still some shortages showing up in various areas of the economy, meaning that prices are still um, consistently remaining high and inflation not dropping off. So a couple of factors there. It doesn't mean that we necessarily have the shock that we are going to go that we've gone through in 2022, but it's just the numbers are not uh, coming down as quickly as they had hoped. So the Bank of Canada has this uh, 2% target in mind, but uh, they're saying now concerns have increased that CPI inflation could get stuck materially above the 2% target. Is that what prompted this particular um, interest rate hike? Yes, and and again, understand that if, if they, the, the sooner they act, the faster the effect of actually takes place. The same way, again, as in you know driving down a slippery road, the, you want to put it on brakes just fast enough in order to slow yourself down. And the sooner that you put on the brakes, the the, the, the faster the effect of of uh, the slowdown occurs. But you don't necessarily want to uh, slam on the brakes so hard as to put put us into a full-on recession. So it's a balancing act, but right now the the numbers from uh, that the Bank of Canada is reading is that we're not slowing the economy fast enough. How do we have precedence for this kind of um, lengthy process? Uh, I mean, we've been going through this now for what the better part of two years um, of these interest rate hikes. Uh, have we uh, recent precedence for this? Oh, we've seen this many times over the years. In, in, my, in my in my career, I think this is like the fifth time I've I've seen something like this uh, happen. Um, you know, 1990. Um, um, 1989, 1990, uh, that period of time we saw interest rates increase uh, over uh, a couple of years. Uh, we saw in the year 2000, if anything, I think there was uh, interest rates went up by n- uh, nine separate times from 2000 to 2001. Um, and so, so it's not unusual that w- that we would have this happening. It's just one has to balance out expectation. Um, of what people are, you know, expecting and seeing what the markets are doing in general, because the big concern everybody has, of course, is with their mortgage. And um, so, so, so far, we haven't seen a dramatic change in mortgage rates. But anybody who is considering buying um, or re- uh, renewing their mortgage right now would probably be a great time to go and have a chat with your. Uh, finance people, bank, trust, uh, you know, um, credit union, etc., to say um, if if I can get pre-approved or an early renewal on my mortgage, what does that look like? Because um, if indeed there's no slowdown by um, the August-September data, then there more than likely will be another increase in rates, but again, more than likely in the quarter level, you know, uh, area, because we we have seen, you know, some effects, like we've seen the numbers come out of China, for example. So so under, understand inflation is really a worldwide phenomenon, 
and numbers coming out of China is showing that China is not growing as fast as it was expected. That that will have a bigger effect later on this year. Um, we are also seeing that the supply chains that have been causing the shortages are starting to, to become repaired. We've actually seen uh, automobiles on dealer lots um, that you know for the first time in about three years, and actually saw an ad showing a rebate, you know, a, a discount on some uh, pickup trucks. So it's starting to the economy is starting to repair around the world. We are starting getting the effect of the slowdown, but this is fine-tuning, hopefully, um, unless we get a massive um, influx where there's a dramatic increase in demand, and we're not seeing that yet. I noticed no uh, reference this time around to uh, recession. That was a big uh, concern and fear a few months ago. Yes, lots of talk uh, three, four months ago about the potential for a major recession arising. Um, but the discussion now is towards what's called a soft landing. And again, um, you know, the, we, we do rely on economists, and in our business we pick on them a lot. You know, the, the whole statement is that uh, we'd love to meet a one-handed economist because in many cases they say, you know, on one hand, here's what can happen, and on the other hand, here's, here's what can happen. So if we could have just one opinion, we'd feel a lot stronger. So there are many jokes about economists and the inability for uh, economists uh, or difficulty that economists have in uh, forecasting um, the direction of interest rates, but it appears at this point in time that most of the numbers are showing that uh, the economies are slowing but not dipping into a full-on recession. And is this typical of a post-pandemic period? Has anyone looked into the history of perhaps the last uh, major influenza uh, outbreak, you know, at the turn of the last century? Yeah, so pandemics are somewhat unique. I mean, the last real big one we had to look back to is 1919-ish uh, with the Spanish flu. Uh, but more the fact that uh, shocks to the economy have occurred, of course, many times um, in the last 30 years, whether that was the um, 1987 stock market crash or the 1990 um, banking crisis in the U.S. or the uh, 1998 savings and loans, uh, sorry, uh, long-term care um, uh uh, crisis that almost bankrupted the, the Western economy, or the um, um, what was that? 1999 bankruptcy of Russia, or the 2000 crash. So, so we've had many instances where there's been shocks in uh, the, the market, uh, at one form or another. And in the same way that you throw uh, a rocket to the water, you get an initial splash, you get a ripple effect happening, but you, you don't generally get a smooth recovery. You always uh, end up with a period of turbulence afterwards. And, and by most measures, uh, this interest rate turbulence so far, once that we stepped outside the initial shock, has been relatively uh, less, uh, meaning that it hasn't been as extreme as some of the reactions that we've had in various markets to uh, 2008 market crash, for example. Um, so again, uh, the, the nature hates a straight, straight line, the economies hate straight lines, um, and this is a, a ripple effect that will continue for the, at least the next uh, couple of years. So if you're concerned, you've got a mortgage um, up for renewal or you're planning on, um, you know, getting into the market, uh, now is the time to start talking. 
always, always, you know, obtain opinions and secondary opinions, and particularly of a group of people that, that, that uh, of experts that may not necessarily always agree with each other. But just to give you an example, just a quick Google online are showing five-year fixed rates for mortgages, for example, are still running just uh, below 4.9%. So it's worth having that conversation that if it is something that's going to concern you, then you can you can take a look at, to, at what those rates are. And it doesn't necessarily mean that you should do a five-year uh, fixed uh, mortgage. Uh, you should have a conversation with your own investment advisor and say what is best for you um, because, um, you know, if, if indeed interest rates are about to – are getting closer to a peak, then you may choose to go with a shorter term. But either way, um, don't just ignore it. Uh, do have a conversation uh, with your investment advisor and uh, have a plan in mind to make sure that you're not blindsided uh, if indeed interest rates do take off or if, in fact, they do plunge and you wish that you would have been able to have a variable rate uh, rather than a fixed one. Larry Short, I really do appreciate your time. Thanks so much. It's my pleasure. So there you go. Uh, something to think about uh, for anybody who is uh, holding a mortgage and is up for renewal in the next little while. Interest rates continuing to rise. How much longer they'll continue to do so remains to be seen. But what kind of an impact is it going to have on you if you're coming up for renewal and you're at, what, 1.5 and suddenly you're staring down the barrel of 4 well, percent? That's going to have a big impact. People can lose houses. They can, depending on, depending on their situation. And yeah. I mean, you know, ostensibly, um, you're supposed to be stress tested for your mortgage by your financial institution. Uh, you hope that uh, what they're doing is right. And you hope that you have enough wherewithal in your own to say, you know what, I'm going to go for something less than that. You know what I mean? I wonder how many people go for variable as well, you know. Well, indeed. Uh, and one time it looked good. Mm -hmm. A fixed rate variable looked good. Now, not so good. Yeah, it's scary. You do have to have a lot of knowledge on it. And you can't leave it up to, you know, your financial institution. Like you said, you got to do They got a job to do. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and it might not necessarily Include have to do you. with your well-being. <laughs> exactly. Um, you know, they're, obviously they don't want to bankrupt you because that's a problem for them. Mm -hmm. uh, or maybe it's not. I don't know. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, they have to have hearts, Linda. Gosh. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's it's important for you not to whistle past the graveyard and to to pay attention to these things mm -hmm. and, you know, advocate for yourself and that sort of thing. Same thing as going to a doctor, right? Yeah. I mean, our financial health, I mean, it's a lot to learn. And that's why we have Nancy Snedden on our shows as well. I learn a lot from her. So absolutely. Yeah. Well, uh, there you go. Um, coming up, we spoke a little bit about the uh, fires, and we all know that the work that uh, Newfoundland water bomber crews have been doing uh, of late, especially in Nova Scotia and Quebec, lots of kudos for those efforts, but NAEP says serious concerns are going unanswered by government. This is News Talk on VOCM. 
nutrition, exercise, keeping the cold at bay. Whatever keeps you feeling great, the Wellness and Healthy Lifestyle Show on your VOCM. And we're back. And as we mentioned, we've been talking a bit about the forest fires uh, burning across Canada. This is one of the worst summers for uh, forest fires in many parts of Canada um, in history. Well, the provincial government has repeatedly offered its thanks to hardworking water bomber crews, some of which have been lending support to help fight fires in Nova Scotia and Quebec in recent weeks. But water bomber pilots worry that government is turning a blind eye to the staffing crunch they're facing. That's according to NAEP. Union President Jerry Earle joins me now. Hello, Jerry Earle. Good day. How are you? Good. So, uh, thankfully, the forest fire situation in uh, Nova Scotia is starting to abate. But uh, our um, water bomber pilots paid a, you know, are, are playing a big role there. We sent uh, four, I think it was four water bombers over there initially, and now we've got three. What's what's the situation? How are we working that out? First off, Linda, our water bomber pilots, and of course everybody in Newfoundland, Labrador, and NAEP, we're certainly been watching closely what's been happening in Nova Scotia, and glad that we could help out, and glad that these highly skilled professional individuals that operate the water bombers could do a, a part. Uh, what I want to talk about is, first of all, some of the messaging that's out there right now, and it's great when the politicians and others are out there with these press releases and talking about uh, being able to step up and provide mutual aid, uh, but our Water bomber pilots, when they sit back, their concerns they're passing on to us that they've tried to have addressed internal are extremely concerning because some of the factual information uh, is quite concerning. I'm just off the phone actually with some water bomber pilots that are pretty stressed, uh, pretty upset. First of all, quite pleased they could do what they can do, but first and foremost, they want to be readily available to provide adequate fire protection services in their own province and other provinces, obviously. So uh, what are we looking at? What did our water bomber fleet previously look like and, and our staffing levels previously look like? And what are they now? What some might be shocked to learn, uh, we're at the lowest level of staffing in water bombers and water bombers themselves since the 1960s. Uh, and some might find that hard to believe. But historically, our Newfoundland Labrador, going back to the 60s, we have six water bombers fully staffed with some 18 pilots. Today, as we speak, the most we have available, we should, we're supposed to have five, but as you know, uh, just going back into the provincial budget where there's talks of possibly filling one that was being damaged. Believe it or not, damaged in 2018 and still not repaired today. So that leaves us with four. But the problem is we do not have sufficient because today, converse to 18 pilots with six bombers that we used to have, we now only have seven pilots for the four bombers that we have. And the aircraft that we have here is the CL-415 water bomber. It is the most effective first strike weapon in a, a wildfire. Uh, and this is coming to experts that operate this equipment. So it's extremely concerning when we're airing politicians that you're talking about the ability to step up. This, and we should be able to step up and assist. Uh, but right now, Newfoundland Labrador, as we speak today, uh, for the entirety of the big land and island, we have one water bomber available. And these are not um, easy positions to take. They're very specialized. and It takes a certain type of person, uh, skill level to operate this, these machines. Absolutely. And just talking to these water bombers, you, you can hear the stress in their voice. They're in uh, old in pattern right now because of weather in Nova Scotia. 
But you can, you can imagine, like, they have to operate these aircraft. You see them going in on ponds and lakes and bays, scooping up water. Uh, they have to take these water bombers in extreme conditions, probably 50 feet from the ground when they're dropping the water and as far as to be effective. Uh, and again, they're, it's very stressful work, very demanding work. Uh, they don't get a whole lot of time. But again, the situation they keep bringing forward, it has not been addressed. We've not, like we wrote, because there's really two ministers there that's responsible. We wrote them over a week ago to engage them on these concerns. Uh, the water bombers themselves had wrote their opera management before that. As of today, no response from anybody. Uh, and the one thing these water bombers, I just spoke to them, and the, and the last words they actually say, like most frontliners, we love the work we do. We want to be able to be there to protect. Uh, we see what happened in central Newfoundland last year, the role they played in bringing those fires along with the ground crews under control. But these pilots want to be here to protect the property in Newfoundland Labrador, and in many instances may be protecting lives in our province. And I don't know if a lot of people in Newfoundland Labrador realize our water bomber crews are actually providing. Uh, Nova Scotia don't have water bombers, for example. So we actually provide water bomber per services for the entire Atlantic provinces and provide mutual aid for the entirety of eastern Canada. But just remember what I initially said, we used to have six water bombers with 18 staff, and now we have four with seven staff. And while some politicians might say we can effectively operate four, we cannot. We have enough pilots today to effectively and efficiently operate on a full-time basis, just three. So 50% from where we used to be in the 1960s. And what are the things we're talking about today? Uh, the worst wildfire season in the history of the country, I believe. Uh, so it's extremely concerning and very stressful for these very professional, and I have to say, very highly skilled individuals that are in great demand, not just Newfoundland and Labrador. So, again, you've heard me talk about retention. We've got to find a way to keep at least, because we've lost three very recent, that people don't realize, three people have basically walked away uh, because of other opportunities. But, again, we have to find a way to keep those that we have and add so that we can efficiently and effectively provide this invaluable service here in Newfoundland and Labrador. Uh, this fog and rain is not going to be around all summer, uh, and we need to have an effective and efficient response when necessary. And not just uh, for Newfoundland and Labrador, but as you said, uh, the entire eastern portion of, of Canada. And absolutely. And, our, and these professionals take great pride in, their, in being able to do that. Uh, they know that if there's a fire in Nova Scotia, which just happened, and they were very pleased to be able to step up. That's not what it's about. They want to be able to step up, uh, but they also want to be able to step up in their own province or whether there's a fire in New Brunswick or PEI that they can help out because it appears it's our uh, 50% fleet now. That is covering the entire Atlantic province uh, and providing an invaluable service. You've seen how effective they were in Nova Scotia. Uh, but again, they are very concerned. And like I said, I, I'm not long off the phone with a, a group of these pilots, and you can hear the stress in their voice knowing uh, they can't deliver on what some politicians are actually saying. So what are the recruitment issues then? Is it salary? Is it a workload? What is it? It's it's workload. Uh, it is, yes, around uh, 
comparable compensation in the province. If you talk to a, what a water bomber pilot, for example, gets in Quebec versus Newfoundland, it would shock you. Uh, so you can't blame people for looking. But again, they're committed. If you talk to them, they actually love working in their province. They want to stay in their province. Uh, they want to be able to help out like they are right now in other provinces. So there's issues that, well, the minister might say we can effectively operate with four. I listen to the people that do this work, that operate these oily effective aircraft. And when I say oily effective, like I said, they are probably the best piece of equipment you can have in a wildfire. They are telling me they cannot uh, meet the demands. If it should it worsen, uh, they will not be able to keep up because they can only really effectively, on a full-time basis, operate three aircraft with this current staff complement. Because there's guidelines set by the federal government where they, no matter what's happening, there's sometimes they have to take days off uh, just because of the, the stress of the job, the type of the work they do. They just cannot continuously function without a break, no different than anybody operating uh, equipment. A truck driver, for example, got to take day, so many hours off after driving for so long. So the same applies to somebody uh, operating uh, one of these aircraft that's operating 50, 60 feet from the ground in many cases when fighting a fire. Jerry Earl, I do appreciate your time. Uh, thanks very much. And thanks to the water bomber pilots for doing such a fabulous job, not only here, but in uh, neighboring Nova Scotia and Quebec. No, and thank you, Linda, for that comment, because like I say, they truly love the work they do. They love to be able to help out their province and certainly our neighboring province. They know the value of what they do in trying to protect property and protect lives. That's uh, Nate President Jerry Earl and uh, Claudette. I've always been fascinated by uh, what water bomber pilots can do. It's just extraordinary when you think about the size of this aircraft. You're bringing it down. It's essentially a controlled crash every time they they go to scoop up water. You got to bring it right down. You've got to lower your speed because, uh, but you got to lower your speed enough, but so as not to crash into the water, but you've got to lower it so that um, not enough to stall out. Um, You've got to scoop up water. You're getting heavier as you go, and you've got to be able to make the end of that lake. (laughs) And time is of the essence. (laughs) And and bring that thing back up. It's a really extraordinary Texas special kind of person to be at it. It is something to watch. I saw something like that, and not, of course to the extreme of the wildfire, but there was a fire in uh, CBS and everybody was just taking their camera and their videos out because we were watching uh, on the CBS trailway and we're watching, you just described it perfectly, what what they do. And wow, it, it's something to marvel at. I just, you know, to have that as your job, I can imagine how rewarding and how tough it would be at the same time. Yeah, it takes a special kind of person. Mm-hmm. Not everybody has that kind of makeup if you yep. if you know what i'm saying so uh you know you can't uh, you can't say enough about them and especially i'm sure the people in nova scotia have an awful lot to say about them right now and it shocked me to hear that nova scotia does not have any water bombers that is pretty shocking um it might be something they might be considering now oh most definitely. <laughs> you know I'm what sure I mean. the talks have been held. When those when those water bombers started coming in from mm-hmm. uh, Newfoundland and Labrador and, Lights uh, went and off. Quebec, I'm sure yeah. they were like, oh boy. Yeah. We need this. Anyway. Coming up, <laughs> we'll get an update on operations at the Newfoundland and Labrador Liquor Commission. This is News Talk on VOCN. You're busy, but you'll never be uninformed. 
Get up to date on the way home. The Drive on your VOCM. And we're back. Well, if you're following the news in the last day or two, you know that the NLC is reporting an increase in net earnings for the fourth quarter that ended April the 1st of 2023. That resulted in $40 million in dividends for the provincial coffers. In that quarter alone, by the way, NLC CEO Bruce Keating joins me now. Well, hello, Bruce Keating. Hi, Linda. So um, NLC put out its fourth quarter results, and of course that's the full year now (laughs) in the uh, rearview mirror. Um, So how did you do? Uh, overall, it was a uh, it was a it's a really positive year on both the financial front and on other fronts as well. Um, the market continued to be strong, so we saw for the quarter we were our earnings were up uh, by about 5.4 million uh, compared to the quarter previously, and for the full year our earnings were. Uh, a little bit above $201 million, which was a slight increase over the previous year. Uh, but I was also recognizing we had incurred some extra costs over the past year as well because of uh, things like the collective agreement, uh, freight costs, which are continuing to be an issue, and security costs in our stores. So there are some other factors at play there, but overall, like I say, it's been a really positive year with uh, strong results coming out of it. You mentioned uh, the cost of uh, transportation and the like. Um, what kind of an impact is that having? And are you seeing any issues when it comes to um, supply chain? Yeah, we're th- then that's exactly where we are seeing it uh, is on our supply chain and, and the cost of getting products into the province. And then, of course, like I say, when we distribute within the province as well. Uh, but particularly when we're bringing products in, um, you know, as you can imagine, we're bringing products from as far away as Australia, New Zealand, South Africa. And when we get into the longer uh, locations, we're seeing some, still seeing significant increases over what we were traditionally used to in some of those areas. So, you know, as much as three, four, five times the transportation cost in order to get product here uh, compared to what it used to be uh, prior to the pandemic. And is that reflected in uh, the price of items on the shelves? It is reflected in that, and that's kind of part of what factors in when we do price increases uh, periodically as well. So it ends up being a, 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 an important factor, I guess, when we're looking at what our costs are to get product here, yeah. So down slightly, but uh, overall increasing. Uh, where Where's the big success uh, stories here? Well, the overall big success stories, and I, and I look at this year as being uh, the third year in kind of, we, we work on the base of three-year planning cycles, but this was the third year in a three-year planning cycle. And over that three years, like I say, our dividend to government totaled $613 million. And compared to the prior three years, that's an increase of almost $81 million over that three years. So overall, during this most during the past three years, we've seen record sales, we've seen record earnings, and we've also seen record dividend levels when we look at that $613 million for the past three years. So we've seen kind of strong results kind of right across and really good expense control within the organization as well. There are areas, as we said, like freight and uh, uh, labor costs and that, that are somewhat beyond our control. But, uh, you know, on balance, we've done a really good job, I felt, uh, just managing some of the forces and some of the challenges that we faced and, and just continuing to, to uh, deliver value for the province. Big increases in cannabis sales. To what do you attribute that? Uh, there's a few factors there. Um, one is the continuing development of the market and, and the work being done to provide the selection uh, and working with retailers to provide the experience uh, for people who are wanting to buy cannabis. Um, secondly, in October of last year, um, in consultation with government, 
the sale of cannabis vape products were approved, effective October. So that's been a really important tool in battling the illicit market. Uh, and the results that we see uh, in, the, in the fourth quarter and this year kind of reflect the fact that vape has been approved, whereas you know a year ago that wasn't the case. And the other area is that we're seeing some real uh, impact from our regulatory services team. Uh, in fighting the illicit market. So, you know, when we look at it over the past quarter, there's been 18 different files, uh, or actually over the past year, 18 different operations kind of battling the illicit market. And over that time, they seized over, uh, seized product with market value uh, in excess of $4 million, which is, you know, significant when you're looking at the illicit market. And, and that really helps, you know, develop the overall legal market and make sure uh, that we're supporting the efforts to provide legal, uh, reliable access to product to anybody in the province. And that product range and that, we all know there was a rocky start to uh, the uh, legalization of um, cannabis in Canada with, you know, the access to quality product and that sort of thing. Uh, how are you doing when it comes to that range of products? From the product range, product selection perspective, there's been significant changes. You know, if we look back to legalization in 2018, as you say, there was real supply issues, difficulties in getting supply, limitations on the range of product that was available. Uh, as we sit here kind of five years later, that uh, situation has just changed dramatically in terms of much more product available in all different kinds of uh, product categories. Uh, the pricing has come down dramatically over that four or five years, uh, which has made it uh, much more competitive with the illicit market. And uh, the quality of the product uh, has changed dramatically as well as the industry has developed and matured, and uh, producers and processors have just gotten better and better as the market's developed. So how much has the uh, NLC provided to government over the last year um, in dividends? In the past year, uh, up to the end of March, uh, our dividend to government was $208 million. And for the three-year period up to the end of April, it was $613 million. And both of those, like I say, the $613 would be a record for any three-year period. Uh, $208 was slightly down from the previous year, but that reflected the collective agreement. Uh, we also made uh, changes to the commission structure for cannabis retailers and, of course, freight costs and security costs that we incurred as well. NLC, of course, one of a number of uh, government assets that were being reviewed um, in recent years. Uh, where does that whole uh, process lie? Uh, we haven't heard an awful lot about it in, in recent months. No, from, from our point of view, um, you know, from our board on down to our, to our team right across the province, we've just continued to focus on what we do on a day-to-day -day basis and do that the very best that we can. So the asset review process was very much a process, you know, being led by and being managed by government, uh, and that remains with them. So, like I say, if any further comments on that, uh, like I, say, I would leave that to government to offer any comments on that. Bruce Keating, I do appreciate your time. Thanks so much. Thank you very much, Linda. I really appreciate it. And that is Bruce Keating, uh, the CEO of the Newfoundland and Labrador Liquor Commission with um, some of the um, numbers related to the last quarter and the last year as a whole. Well, the surgeon who performed a hernia operation on Pope Francis reports that the 86-year-old is fine and awake and that the surgery was a success. The Pope had part of his colon removed two years ago and doctors say he's suffering from a painful and worsening hernia that 
that formed over a previous scar. It's not clear if doctors removed any more sections of the Pope's colon, which may have been made necessary by the hernia. And it strikes me that when you're in the kind of position that the Pope is in, these kinds of details become public. Yeah, I mean, and you just got to swallow your pride and just allow everything to, to go out in the public. That's what he signed up for, Yeah, unfortunately. Exactly. And, uh, you know, when you're in that kind of a... Uh, of a you know position that he holds um, these things are important because if anything happens to him then it starts a whole process exactly yeah so anyway it's a lot more detail than you would expect from any other well-known individual globally speaking uh i i kind of figure though if something were to happen to like a president or a prime minister we'd probably hear about that somehow as well i don't know it to that level of detail though (laughs) i'm not sure that would be the case i'm sure it would and usually there's you know if it's a politician they're usually quite private and quiet about those kinds of things you know and you just say that you know the such and such is off for the next little while uh, and is uh, recovering from a from an illness uh, we hope to see him or her soon right I know but, but with and you know the Pope probably wants everyone to pray for him so the more details the better <laughs> I suppose <laughs> I suppose that's how it works but uh, there you have it anyway uh, I'm still getting inundated with uh, messages from my friend in New Jersey, New Jersey. <laughs> who is uh, really scandalized by the smoke from Canada. I think she's blaming <laughs> Canada. I'm not sure. She's she's new to North America, so she's kind of like, what's this Canada fire all about? Well, you know, Canada is a very, very large country, and there are numerous fires burning, and uh, it's not us per se. Anyway. It's not our fault. <laughs> That's a whole other set of circumstances, but I have now become the apologist for the (laughs) fires in Canada for her. But um, as we mentioned off the top, uh, millions of people in several provinces and a growing number of U.S. states dealing with smoke from the forest fires burning in Ontario and Quebec. Emergency Preparedness Minister Bill Blair says there are 414 fires burning across the country, including 239 that are out of control. And no doubt our um, uh, water bomber crews here in Newfoundland and Labrador will be playing uh, some kind of a role. I believe they are in Quebec, and I'm not sure if they're still in Nova Scotia now or not, but uh, we'll hear more from Jerry Earl about that important issue uh, as the uh, days uh, go by. That's it for us for now. We'll be back tomorrow. Do join us then, and uh, stay safe, everyone.